Gracious Father, we do desire to see you face to face. But you shine your face upon us. You manifest your countenance to us. Day by day in those that we encounter. You speak to us through our brothers and sisters. You walk with us through those who are our companions. Father, hear us this morning as we pray. Give us ears to hear, a mind to understand, and a heart to commit, to be as your people, your servants, your instruments, and your very presence on this earth. These things we ask this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Thank you. I pastor a church called Street People's Church. And it is as the title says. It is a church of people from the streets. Many of them are not just from the streets. Many of them are no longer in the streets. Uh, I've been at the Matt Talbot Center for 22 years. A group of us who were businessmen started this ministry. And had no idea where it was going and God has richly blessed us. But has blessed us through relationships, through associations, through those that have come alongside and as we have always felt, have taken advantage of the opportunity that God calls us to create for others to come and minister. This church is a partner, a relational partner. It's in, in many ways with us. It's a wonderful thing that you share your treasure with us. But the greatest treasure this church shares with us is the time and the talent of its people who come and spend their time with us, helping us not to do the work, but doing the work with us. Amen? That, that on one Sunday in particular month, this church has had a group of folks who come to represent you, who come and not only serve a meal, but worship with our people. And they spend the time being with them, not just doing something for them or to them, but being with them. Mother Teresa said the greatest poverty in the world is loneliness. And for many of our people, people have walked away from them, around them, have crossed the street to avoid them, have cast their eyes aside rather they than be caught in their gaze. And I, I would venture to say, like all of you, have had some moments where we've been guilty of the same. It is just this thing called life, called discomfort, that we would rather not experience. But if we're to change, if we're ever to become what we're meant to be, then we're going to have to become uncomfortable. Romans 1 and 20 says that if you want to understand God's nature and power, look at creation. God only has one set of rules. And those rules are manifest in creation as well as in the spiritual realm. And God is the same. He doesn't change. So no respect of persons. God is not going to do it differently for me or for you just because we're a worshiper on this Sunday morning in this wonderful church. So in that principle is this concept. Friction... Agitation, 
discomfort is required anytime there's change in nature. And if your nature is ever to change, if you are ever to become more of what you're meant to be, you're going to have to experience and encounter discomfort. So when I stand to speak this morning, my purpose is not to entertain you. It's not to make you feel good. I, you may find something to laugh at. But ultimately, its purpose, if we're to fulfill our purpose on this earth, is to cause you to change. Any preacher that comes to preach before you and simply makes you feel good has really not done their job. Because you don't want to leave here the same. There's been too much invested in this. There's been too much entrusted into this. When, when Pastor Scott called me and asked me to come, I took this call seriously. And he told me that he had taken the process of this selection seriously. So I wasn't here just because I was a footnote. And I wasn't the last choice. And it wasn't me, but it's really God's call on my life that I come to bring you this morning. So know that my purpose is to give you the wherewithal, the elements that it takes to change. Because tell your neighbor, look at them and say, I don't want to leave the same. Oh, come on, talk to each other. <laughs> How about this one? I'm not who I'm supposed to be yet. God's not done with me yet. Let me help you, because if, if he is done with you, then you're finished. <laughs> Amen? So there's still something you're supposed to do. This morning's message in your bulletin was entitled, Never Omitted, Always Committed. It's about the subject of action. I would tell you that since I gave them that title on Wednesday, that the message has evolved some, and the title is now, The Good You Should Do, as Nike says, just do it. There's something we're supposed to do. There's something we're supposed to do. We, we heard this morning, the, we sang the song, Dona Nobis Pace, Latin. There's another word in Latin that is critical to every one of us, and that word is magis. And the word magis means more. It's a word that is on so many of the crests of families, particularly royal families, because they recognize noblesse oblige, their noble obligations, something they were supposed to do, that there was more that they were supposed to be involved in than just what they inherit. The Bible says to those that much is given, much is required. Much is expected. This church is blessed. It, it, and it is a blessing. It does much because of the blessing that it has and is. You are in, the, in Tijuana. You're in Rwanda. The Eastside Academy exists because people in this church took in a, a, a stewardship responsibility towards it. The work we do downtown occurs because this church... And, and we're able to better do it and more completely do it because of the responsibility of this church, the mantle it has taken on. The good you should do, we're just to do it. In the same book, in, in the second chapter, chapter back, our foundational or mission line for our ministry when we began 22 years ago is found in the second chapter in the 16th verse. And it says this. 
What good is it if my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? We all would like to see the problems in the world solved. The question is, what do we do about it? We see people hungry, and the Lord says, when did you feed me? We see people who are in shabby clothes, he says, when did you clothe me? We see people incarcerated, it's sad, but when did we visit you? He says, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. We are expected to do something with our time, our talent, and our treasure. The treasure is the easiest. It's easy to write a check, to come to church, to put it in the offering. But the time and the use of your talent, your profession, and you understand that that's what the word profession and being a professional is really about. It was mentioned that I'm the chaplain with the University of Washington. I was told I played football for years. I played there. And, and folks say, oh, you're a football fan. I said, no, I'm not. I'm a fan of human potential. I want to see young men achieve their destiny, fulfill the expectations on their life. I do some work with the NFL. I was back uh, a couple of weeks ago at the Rookie Symposium with all the, the 224 young men that were drafted. Spent four days with them, Commissioner Goodell. Interesting, new sheriff in town. His message, character counts. His message is evidenced by the condition of no longer playing by a number of young men who have great talent for what they did with their character. To those that much is given, much is required. The good you should do, just do it. They may wear a Nike emblem, but the question is, are you living out what they expect? Now, character counts, but it also costs. There's some things that you can't do. There's some things that you can put aside because you are a professional. So for four days, what we did was we talked to these young men about what it means to be a professional. Let me tell you where the word professional originally came from. And it's lost its meaning down through the generations. What it really meant was your gifts, your talents. If you were an architect, your profession as a Christian was through your architecture. If you were a doctor, your profession as a physician was through your medicine. If you were an attorney, your profession as a Christian of your faith was through your practice. As a football player, their profession should be not what they do on the field, although they're expected to play by the rules there, but what you do off the field is the profession of your faith. If you're a professional, then you can do good. And you're expected to do it. Your time, your talent, and your treasure. It's interesting in this morning's paper, they had uh, Paul Allen on the front page. Seahawks open camp today, showed up yesterday, reported. Paul has, for most of you, are probably aware this has avoided publicity and the media most of his professional life. For 
really good reason. But it's interesting what he what they said in here, and they talked about his philanthropy. We were speaking earlier about it in the back. And you know, landmark. Bill Gates compiled a fortune. Was probably not, he was respected for what he did, but perhaps not necessarily appreciated by many folks. Because he was seen just simply as a hard-driving businessman. Got married, had kids, suddenly he became a philanthropist. Not an accident. God designed it in that when you have children, you start being concerned about the world your children will come into. They don't build statues to you for what you've taken or amassed. They build statues to people for what they've given. Perspective has changed. Hopefully we all grow not only older but wiser and learn about the good we should do and begin to do it. See, there's Majus, there's more. There's something in him that compelled him to do something other than build another company. Those opportunities continue to come. But your focus has to then be about something other than that. The Lord says when his will is done, his kingdom comes on earth. Just like it is in heaven. How does it come? It comes by our choices, by our actions, by our investments of time, talent, and treasure. Faith without works is dead. We can speak of faith. We can pray in faith. We can read the Bible to find faith. But if we do not live out our faith, if we do not work out our salvation, if we do not begin to do something with the faith we have, our faith is like the Bible. It's just like a parachute, another weight on our back. It's more for us to carry. You have to open it. You have to begin to do something with it. We come Sunday after Sunday. We come during the weekday to service. But if we do not live it out, then what good is it? I would tell you that for those men and women who have come from this church to be with us, those that are in Tijuana, those that are in Rwanda. I met a young lady this morning that's in Japan. Folks that are out in the name of the Lord doing the work on your behalf. I can tell you in the 22 years that I've been in ministry, I've received far more than I could ever give. I hear people tell me, oh, what a wonderful thing. I said, no, my, I, you know, I was just designed. God knew what he was doing. I was engineered to do what I, was do I do. I understand what I understand because it's the way I was made. Everybody understand that folks like Mark McGuire and Barry Bonds, despite all the scandal out here and the, the other issues, he is actually designed and engineered different than the rest of us so that he can see a baseball do some things that we can't. I spent some time years ago with a friend of mine, a couple of guys that played with the Oakland A's and, and, and they rode with me from Baltimore to New York to play the Yankees and Reggie Jackson was one of them. He was in the car and here's what Reggie said. He was explaining to the other guy, guy Bill North who's from Seattle, about what to expect from certain pitchers. And he says, well, you know, he's going to throw a uh, fastball, but it's going to begin to turn counterclockwise, and the seams are then going to drop. And I'm going, wait a minute. It's going to turn counterclockwise, and the seams are going to... Can any of us see the seams on a baseball when it's being thrown? Do you understand what I'm saying to you? you he was engineered. He was God designed him. 
to do what he does. Michael Vick, in an unfortunate situation, but this young man is gifted and talented to do something. And because of the choices he's made, he's probably not going to get to do it. Maybe never again. Because to those that much is given, much is expected, much is required. The good you should do, instead of watching dogs fight, he could have been out helping people solve problems and change their lives. We have to ask ourselves the same question. What are we passionate about? What are we willing, what burns in our hearts to do something about? What makes you uncomfortable? What is unjust in this world? Who did you see? When did you encounter someone who was in difficulty? And maybe you couldn't do something about it, but you wanted to see it change. Because where your passion is, there is your heart. Where your treasure is. What you treasure. What you want to change. But sooner or later, we have to get to the point where the gospel compels us. Instead of just simply entertains us. You know, Proverbs 19 and 17 says this. He who gives to the poor lends to the Lord. Your treasure is the least of it. The money is the least of it. See, because where you spend your time, your treasure follows. Because you'll invest what you've got to change what you know is unjust. Is it poverty in its material trappings? Maybe it's poverty Simply in spirit, where you see the brokenness in people who need to be encouraged, who just need someone to believe in them. What got Paul Allen, you know, it says his passion and his curiosity. He then began to pursue things to change the conditions, to speak of issues that he saw were wrong. And that's what he's using his resources for. Verse 19 in the second chapter of this same book speaks of a faith that I have to tell you that I ask people, have we even lived up to that much? Because, see, some of us don't even have the faith of demons. In some cases, demons have more faith than we've got. Because it says that the demons believe in God and they tremble. They see something wrong and they know that it offends God and they're uncomfortable. See, we see things that are wrong and we say we believe in God and we're not made the least bit uncomfortable. We turn the page and keep moving. We find another way so we don't have to see it. We fill our lives with other things so we don't have to think about it. Even the demons tremble knowing that this offends God. They can't do anything about it. But the injustice and the wrong we see in the world, we can. Let me say this church does a great deal, but the question isn't about this church, because you are the church. The question is, what are you doing with it, doing about it with your time and your talent? What are you using your gifts for that will change the condition of the lives that people live. Because when you do his will, when his will is done, his kingdom comes. And the Bible says his kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The folks you see who are struggling 
all too often are not experiencing righteousness. There's no peace because there's a need that they can't meet without someone's help. And the joy is not there. I'm going to close this morning by, we're going to look at one other passage in the same book. In the same book, in the book of James. Second chapter, verses 20 through 22. I said it to folks this morning, you got a pencil? Write it down. Short pencils, better than a long memory. <laughs> Clinical psychologists, educational psychologists tell us you've got to hear something at least seven times before you remember it. Read it, experience it. Say, God, that was good. It was good. First off, if it was good, it wasn't me. I'm not that good. I, I know my track record. Amen? I, but I believe God is trying to say something to someone this morning. And in this verse, it starts with a word that is rarely used in the Semitic culture. Rare, rarely used in the biblical context because it's really the most demeaning, one of the most demeaning things you can say to someone. To call someone a fool. But you're called a fool. It says, you foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? So one who does not understand the need to live out their faith, but just pray it and sing it, and worship, but not live it out, is a fool. Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. Majus. More. Our faith is incomplete. We are lacking. We feel the insufficiency. Because all that God gave us was given for one reason. To bring his kingdom on earth. In the lives of men and women. By the way we use our talents and our gifts. To be able to do good and not do it. Is definitively stated as being not wrong, not bad. But sin. Bible says this, so let your light shine, that men will see your, not your faith, but your good works, and glorify your Father, who is in heaven. My purpose for being here this morning not to challenge you, but to give you something that may help you change. If you're doing something, Majus, we can do more. If we're trying to find the something to do, Majus, we can do that something. We can do more. But I would say it to you simply as stated, the good you should do, just do it.